Welcome to Yara's Grow the Future podcast. Yara is the global leader in crop nutrition knowledge and a producer of quality fertilizer products. Grow the future with Yara. Hello and welcome from me, Ken Rundle and Natalie Wood, Yara's agronomy operations manager. The agenda this time is delivering nitrogen, which is a common topic enough with us, but this time we're looking at N delivered via urea and not ammonium nitrate. Natalie, there are pros and cons with urea, but given the high fertilizer prices recently, it's a product quite a few farmers have looked at. And with the new price lists, I'd like you to look at again for the next season. I suppose we should start by reminding ourselves then what urea is and how it delivers its nitrogen. Yeah, so of course, you know, urea is a, a source of nitrogen that crops can utilize. And the only real difference is that um, it's not an immediately available form of nitrogen to the crop. So first of all, it has to undergo a chemical reaction in the soil, which is called hydrolysis. Um, and that's when it converts it from urea to ammonium and then eventually to nitrate, which is, of course, plant available. Um, this doesn't mean it's not a good source of nitrogen. Um, it just means that this potential uh, delay in the availability of that nitrogen. So that needs to be factored in basically to your spring applications. Um, urea is normally used for that first application in February, um, and that's normally when the soils are cold. So, you know, that's ideal really in terms of what we're looking for. But the flip side of that is the cold soils also mean that that chemical reaction can take, you know, even a little longer, possibly six to eight weeks. So again, you just need to bear that in mind um, for your crops. It's granular and liquid in its different forms. Yeah, so we've got the granular uh, 46% kind of urea products. There's also urea plus sulfur products that are granular. Um, and then, of course, there's the UAN as well, which is the, the liquid form. You mentioned just now the cold soils. Now, that conversion process slowed down can lead to emissions. And that's a big issue, isn't it? Yeah, so as part of the that reaction that I mentioned, urea then releases ammonium into the atmosphere, or ammonia, sorry, into the atmosphere when it volatilizes. Um, and the rate and amount of that volatilization that occurs very much depends on soil conditions, moisture, temperature, etc. So um, just as an example, if soils are cool um, and moist, then the level of volatilization is relatively low. If the soils are warm and moist and there's also you know, a drying wind blowing over them, then that can increase the emissions quite a lot. So you know, that's why urea tends to be used at those earlier timings when the, the soils are colder and air temperatures are cooler as well. Um, and if we look at the old kind of NT26 data, the average losses from the urea there were 24% across all the sites they had there. So, you know, there, there's a the potential for it to lose quite a lot of its nitrogen that way. So we need to minimise that as much as possible, really. And we've had seasons where some of those concerns have been quite, quite high. Yeah. I mean, if we think of, you know, previous springs gone by, um, not this spring, obviously, but in, in years gone by, you know, we've had warm weather in March, February time. So it's just something to be aware of if we are trying to reduce those ammonia emissions. Um, it's just, you know, take into account those soil conditions. If we do have warmer weather in, in the potentially cooler months, um, you know, it will increase the emissions there. But it is possible to inhibit emissions, isn't it? Yeah. So luckily, um, the enzyme that facilitates the, that hydrolysis reaction that I mentioned is something called urease. And we have urease inhibitors that will slow that process down. Um, so obviously meaning less emissions coming from the urea-based products. Um, if we think about those new kind of policies and rules that you spoke about earlier coming into place, then 
anything after the 1st of April next year, 2024, will need to have that inhibitor present so that urease inhibitor will have to be on those products. And that includes all forms of, of urea. So that's your straight, you know, 46% urea. It's urea blends that contain it. Uh, urea plus sulfur products, UAN. So basically anything that has more than 1% ureate nitrogen from the 1st of April next year will have to have that inhibitor. And that poses questions if you're trying to budget, because uh, what might seem initially as being quite a reasonable, a cost-effective operation suddenly becomes a lot more expensive. Yeah, so obviously there's a cost associated with that uh, urease inhibitor. So it's, you know, farmers are going to have to think about you know, what percentage do I need to have inhibited? It's about risk management, really. So, you know, they're not going to get it all inhibited because financially it probably doesn't make much sense. Although agronomically you would inhibit everything if you could just to, to reduce losses. But, you know, for argument's sake, you know, how much nitrogen do you need as urea? How much do you need as AN? And then how much of your urea do you need to have inhibited? So it's just, you know, it's going to make people have to think a bit more about their buying decisions, which of course will be potentially coming up soon with new season prices coming out in the, you know, imminently. And then having made those decisions, you could suddenly face a season that completely turns everything on its head. Yes, unfortunately. So, yeah, again, adding in more risk to, you know, growing crops, which we don't want to do. <laughs> We're trying to minimise it as much as possible. So. so given all that juggling, is there a best practice approach to using urea? Um, I mean, if you're going to use urea, then that first application is ideal timing for it. Uh, possibly the second as well, depending when when that is for you. Um, make sure that you remember there could be a delay in the availability of that nitrogen so plan ahead for that um, and try not to apply in those potentially um, conducive conditions for releasing the ammonia um, and yeah if you need to get some of your um, urea inhibited or if not switch to AN obviously because you, you've got your lowest emissions there and, and no inhibition is required yet. Now, these days, we seldom talk about just one nutrition nutrient or in any fertilizer application. Obviously, there's P and K as well as N, but another is sulfur. And what's the situation with urea and sulfur? So, um, yes, of course, you can get urea plus sulfur products. We have our own um, Amidas is our urea plus sulfur product. Um, the only issue that you guessed that you have is with the inhibitor. So the degradation of the inhibitor is increased with the sulfur content. So if you've got a urea plus sulfur product, your inhibitor isn't going to last as long. So that's another point to kind of think of if you're buying in, you know, say in the next few weeks, an NS product, um, a urea plus sulfur product, sorry, you know, um, you know, we need to make sure there's enough inhibitor there for it to work next spring, basically. So it's just another thing to think about, but certainly, you know, we need sulfur with those early applications. So, something like amidas would be good. So it's not a case of just uh, putting in your order and sitting back. You have to really sit down mm. and think things through yeah, and discuss definitely. it maybe with your agronomist, whatever. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah, there's a lot more to think about this year. It's been short and sweet, I suppose, this one, Natalie, but what are the key points you really are trying to get across in this issue? Um, well, I think mainly, you know, with the new season pricing coming out, it's not about rushing your decision or potentially just buying what you bought last year. You know, we need to put a bit of thought process behind, you know, do we need straight nitrogen? Do we need a nitrogen sulfur product? If we're buying urea, how do we spread that risk of how much we need with an inhibitor and how much we don't? So it's about, you know, you know, having a proper think about informed decisions rather than just 
on the phone to the rep yes we will have what we had last year kind of thing so yeah just just taking a bit of time over it because you don't want to get to spring and not have the product that you need at that point in time when you need it the most short and to the point as usual Thanks to Natalie Wood, Yara's Agronomy Operations Manager. Now, last time I promised you a, a podcast on field crops. Well, let's hope planting has progressed enough to consider them in our next podcast. In the meantime, from me, Ken Rundle, thanks for listening and join me in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks for listening to Yara's Grow the Future podcast. For more information, visit yara.co.uk or yara.ie.